0: Welcome to the Hold Nothing Back podcast. My mission with every episode is to relay information on training, nutrition, and mindset that I wish that I had when I first started my own fitness journey. If you do like the podcast, don't forget to leave a review and let me know on the Hold Nothing Back Instagram. Without further ado, let's get into it. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Hold Nothing Back podcast. So today I'm not going to be doing my fun fact because this episode is going to be packed uh, with fun facts um, and a lot of like scientific research. Um, So this episode is going to be busting some fitness myths. So I had asked you guys on my Instagram story what you wanted to see in terms of like fitness myths that you were unsure of. um, And I got so many good ones. So this is going to be actually broken up into two different episodes. Um, But for this episode, we are going to cover um, can you out train poor sleep? Um, is diet Coke bad for you? Um, also do you always have to train to complete failure? And then the, can you get shredded while drinking alcohol? Um, and then the rest of the episode will be up next week. Um, but yeah, so I'm really excited to go over this. I do have a lot of research that I did so that I can back up what I'm telling you guys. So I'm not just talking out of my butt. Um, so with that being said, let's dive into it and let's start with is diet Coke bad for you? So, Diet Coke, I mean, I think this person is asking because Diet Coke has artificial sweeteners in it. So, I'm just going to go a broad view and say, you know, this is including not so much stevia because stevia is from a plant. It's more natural. Um, It doesn't have the same effects as, like, you know, aspartame or sucralose um, or a couple other of those um, sweeteners that you find in, like, diet soda or diet products. I know a lot of people in prep use Walden Farms. Or um, I forget the guy, but there's like a sugar-free barbecue sauce. I think it's like Stubbs or something. Um, but yeah, definitely in the diet culture, in the bodybuilding world, there are a lot of people that use these artificial sweeteners, um, you know, in my own experience. So I had competed, for those of you that don't know, I competed when I was 16 and 17. Um, and for both of those preps, I use the shit out of artificial sweeteners. I don't know if you know, but it's called like Neo. And that's just a thing that you can squirt in your drink. And so I... Like, throughout the day, that's what I would fill my gallon of water with was just Mio. So I never really drank normal water. I would just drink that all day, every day. And, you know, as I got deeper into prep, I would, like, concentrate it more. So I would do, like, two squirts in, like, a small glass of water just because I was craving sugar so badly. So, you know, in my own experience, I definitely noticed that that was causing a lot of bloating, um, burping. And, you know, I just did not feel my best. Looking back now, like I, all I do is I drink water and I don't have any artificial sweeteners and I just feel so much lighter and I don't experience. Well, I won't say it's all because of the artificial sweeteners because I did have, you know, intestinal permeability, um, a little bit of dysbiosis or bacteria in my gut or bacteria overgrowth in my gut. So obviously that's going to play a role. But, you know, just throughout the day, I noticed when I just drink water, I just feel so much better. So that's my own personal experience. Um, outside of that, though, there is a study by weighing et al. And it's Sucralose. It's called Sucralose Promotes Food Intake Through NPY in a Neuronal Fasting Response. Um, but basically, this study just shows, and there's a couple other studies that will support this, that... Um, artificial sweeteners can actually cause overeating, um, and that's just because you know it could be that um, you know they're getting that sugar taste and that their body is going to be craving that more than if they weren't to get that sugar taste. And if you if you look at the studies, it's a little bit inconclusive, um, but you know there is a correlation between having increased amount of artificial sweeteners and craving more food and more sugar. Um, but yeah, so it, it could be possible because the the artificial sweeteners have a higher amount of that sweet taste comparable to, you know, normal sugar. Um, so the overstimulation of sugar receptors from the frequent use of these sweeteners, it will limit the tolerance for more like complex taste. So that means that, you know, people that use these artificial sweeteners often are going to um, not really find things like fruit as appealing because they're used to that very intense sweet taste, especially with things like vegetables. Obviously, you're probably going to think that vegetables taste horrific because you're so used to the sweet taste and vegetables don't have that. Um, Another thing is that, you know, there are animal studies that suggest that artificial sweeteners can be addictive, which I totally agree with because, like I said, when I was on prep, as I got deeper into prep, and the more I consumed it, the more I would go through Mio. I would go through, like, towards the end of prep, I would go through maybe, like, one one bottle a day. Um, yeah, there was a study um, with rats, and they were <laughs> they're actually exposed to cocaine, and then they were given a choice between cocaine or oral saccharin, which is an artificial sweetener, and most chose the saccharin. So, you know, it definitely is addictive, just how sugar can be addictive. Um, and so that's where, you know, you have to, like, Really, yes, like if someone is going to be obese and they're used to drinking full sugar soda, you know, you may want to switch them to a artificial sweetener or a diet soda to try and get them off of that. But then again, I just think it's better to just avoid it altogether. You're going to feel better. Your digestion is going to be better. And you're not going to be as prone to craving more food, especially if you're in prep. I know it's so hard and you can be so hungry. But I definitely think it's a good idea to try and stay away from that and just drink normal water. Um, And, you know, another thing that another argument that you can make is that, Some people will think that by swapping out, and this is going to be more of like a novice kind of mindset, but I do want to mention it, but say you have someone that's very obese and they're used to drinking diet soda or normal soda all the time, well, then if you switch them to diet soda, what if they're like, okay, well, since I have the diet soda and I'm saving those calories, now I can have cake and I can have cookies. Um, So that's like a kind of, you know, that's not going to be a huge thing for most people, but that is possible. Um, and just looking through my notes, the last thing I, I kind of saw was um, there was a study by San Antonio Heart Study. Um, yeah, I think I don't even know what it's called. But it said, my notes say, you know, participants in the San Antonio Heart Study who drank more than 21 diets per week were twice as likely to become overweight or obese as people who didn't drink diet soda. Again, that just goes to the fact that the more diet soda that you're going to drink, probably the more that you're going to feel the need to overeat. Now, for the next question that I will answer, the next myth that I'll bust is that you can out-train poor sleep. So, there are a lot of studies that say, you know, it doesn't really affect strength gains in the short run. There's not a lot of studies that go over the long run. But, you know, I can tell you from my own personal experience, sleep is so important I don't know, again, the studies are kind of like, is it more psychological or is it more the fact that you just didn't get sleep? To me, I don't think it's, I think it's a combination of both. I mean, I know when I don't get sleep, I'm like, damn it, like I didn't get enough sleep last night. My workout's gonna suck. But I also know that I'm definitely more lethargic. Um, There was also a study showing that, um, and again, this was was actually a meta-analysis, so it wasn't like just one study, but it kind of just showed that, Um, People who sleep better lose significantly more fat mass. Now, my reasoning behind this, and I've talked about this before, I have a whole episode on sleep, but that's just, you know, with our our stress, our body doesn't differentiate between the different stressors that we have. So we have this one stress bucket and not getting enough sleep is going to add to that stress. So that's also going to raise cortisol. Cortisol has an inverse relation with testosterone. um, And so that's where you want to make sure that you're limiting the stressors as much as you can. Um, just for overall health in your life. And so getting sleep is a really easy way to do that. So definitely you want to be getting at least least seven hours of sleep every single day. Eight hours to nine hours is going to be more ideal. I know that's not super realistic for some people, um, but at least seven hours of sleep is going to be beneficial. Um, Also, you have to remember that growth hormone is a hormone that is going to repair tissues. Um, So if you're not sleeping at night, you're not going to be able to repair tissue as well. Um, that's because the growth hormone is released through the hypothalamus during deep uh, deep sleep because that's associated with the delta waves that are released from your brain. Um, if you want to have more information of this on this, the Huberman Lab has a really great episode. Um, it's called uh, I think it was like um, testosterone and growth hormone, and he kind of breaks down those two things. But yeah, sleep is going to be very important. Um, also just giving you, um, that, you know, a lot of people are so stressed throughout the day. And so the only time they really get into that parasympathetic rest and digest state is through sleep. Um, so yeah, sleep is very important. Um, I do think in the short term, you know, say like if, you know, for a while I had my new puppy and so I didn't sleep that well for two months because I had to take him out. That's not going to be super detrimental. It's more I get worried about people who don't sleep. And in the long run, that's going to really build up and you're going to have more risk for disease because, again, that's going to raise the cortisol. You're not getting into that restful state. Um, So I know that that was kind of like a quick answer, but just People, get your sleep. It's one of the easiest things that you can do. Um, Make sure that you're shutting your phone off right before you you go to bed, like 30 minutes to an hour before you go to bed. Make sure that you're trying to fall asleep close to sunset, you're waking up close to sunrise, and you should be totally fine. That's one of the things that you definitely want to put in place. You know, with my clients, that's one of the things that we address first um, before I give them any, like, advanced macro manipulations or any advanced training techniques is like, what is your sleep at? Let's fix that. Let's fix that first. Build that foundation, and then we can go into more advanced um, methods. All right. So the next one is going to be you always have to train to complete failure. Um, there are definitely two camps to this. Um, some people are very passionate about it. A lot of these people believe that those last few reps before failing are the most important. But actually, with my own anecdotes, which I'll get to in a second, and with a lot of the research, it does not support that. Um, many studies actually support that stopping two to three reps shy of failure will get you just as many gains. Um, and there is a study. It's Skeletal Muscle Fiber Adaptations Following Resistance Training Using Repetition Maximums or Relative Intensity by Carol et al. By, um, in 2019. Um, so this was a 10-week training study where one group of highly trained subjects use a program based on rep maxes that involve going to failure for every exercise, Well, another group use a program based on relative intensity. So that means, like, percentages of their one rep max. Um, and so that would allow them to train with a little bit of a lighter load, avoiding failure by a couple of reps. Um and so they measured uh, fiber hypertrophy and the whole muscle hypertrophy, and they found that it favored the relative intensity group. Um, so that it actually favored the muscle group favored, jeez, <laughs> the muscle growth favored the avoiding the training to absolute failure rather than training to failure. Um, and these results. So this does contrast some literature. Um, that I had read prior to this. But I think it's worth noting because the other literature says that there is no difference. But this actually shows a very small favor in terms of stopping short of failure. So that right there, I think says a lot in itself. Um, And yeah, so like I said, a lot of the studies do support that you don't have to go to complete failure. And in my own training, I have noticed that Once I stopped taking every single set to failure, I noticed so much progress um, because I wasn't injured all the time. I did have a ton of injuries. I used to be one of those that was like, if my eyeballs aren't popping out of my head doing leg press, then I'm not going hard enough. Um, But the the only caveat here is you know, if you are someone who doesn't really understand what failure truly is, you don't really understand how to push yourself. That's where I would just tell clients like, Hey, let's take this to failure. Again, they're not, they're probably not going to go to complete failure and they're probably their failure in their mind is going to be stopping short, like one to two reps. And so that's where, you know, that may be beneficial to tell a client that, but, you know, just keep in mind, there are cons of going to failure. It's going to Have a higher risk of injury. You're going to take a larger hit to your central nervous system. It's also going to take longer to recover. But then the only pro there is, again, that some people, they just don't understand the failure, um, the whole concept between taking it to actual failure. So I would say if you're someone that really does love to push yourself, because I know that pushing yourself that hard can be fun sometimes, especially if you're a crazy person like me who enjoys that pain. Um, I would say maybe on your last set of each exercise, you can try and really push yourself. But just don't go too far um, into that realm. Because again, you know, form is probably going to break down. And this is something that I do myself is I will take sets to absolute failure. But not to the point where I'm starting to, you know, maybe on the leg press, maybe my back is starting to come up off the pad or I'm starting to my knees are starting to cave in. That's really going to put you at risk for injury. And it's just not worth it at that point. So I would say just kind of use this. What the information I'm giving you to your own discretion. If you are more advanced, you're probably going to be able to manipulate training better and to implement some of these techniques a bit better. Um, But if you're a beginner, I would just say really try and push yourself because intensity is very important. Intensity meaning how hard you're actually training and the effort that you're actually putting in. Um, You know, intensity is going to be even more important than doing a lot of volume. So I would rather have someone do three sets going really hard, pushing themselves than four sets, um, kind of like half-assing the workout. Um, so definitely keep that in mind and kind of just, like I said, use this to your own discretion. So the final myth that I will bust for you guys today is being able to get shredded while drinking alcohol. So there's a couple things that I want to cover first before I go into the study that I looked at, um, or a couple of studies that I had looked at. So the first thing is that everyone's going to be different. Everyone's genetics are going to be different. There are some people, actually the person that asked this question, I know who it is. And they argue that, you know, some people are able to drink all the time and they still have a six pack. Well, first of all, if you're looking at people through Instagram, it's all a highlight reel. So you don't actually know if like what steroids are taking, what drugs are taking, and if they are drinking as much as it looks like they're drinking. Another thing is genetics are going to play a huge part. There are a lot of people that will have abs no matter what they do. Um, and that's because they're like an ectomorph body type. Um, And they're better at processing food and distributing that evenly. Um, But another thing is outside of just how alcohol can affect weight training. I mean, alcohol is going to put you at risk of heart damage, liver damage, um, stomach ulcers, dehydration, um, diabetes because of the way that it manipulates your blood sugar. So alcohol is definitely something that you want to avoid unless it's like, you know, one glass of wine a couple times a week week for dinner is not going to be the worst thing in the world. But you just have to be really mindful. Um, Another thing is that alcohol doesn't have any nutritional value really, but it is uh, about nine calories per gram of alcohol. Um, But it doesn't have any micronutrients, any fiber. It doesn't do anything for your body. It actually will stunt protein synthesis. Um, so, you know, it, it, definitely avoid alcohol if you can. Um, but with that being said, the study that I looked at or the meta-analysis or no, actually, this was a sy- systematic review. Um, it was the effects of alcohol consumption on recovery following resistance exercise, a systematic review Um I don't know how to pronounce the last name, I apologize you guys, but you can just look that up if you want to read it. Um, Well, first of all, so a systematic review is just a review of a question that uses systematic and reproducible methods to identify, select and kind of look through all of the relevant research and then to collect an analysis from that data and from those several different studies. So this is kind of pulling data from a bunch of different studies and then they're kind of analyzing it for you in this paper that I had read. So basically, again, you can read this if you want to, but the outcome was that they found that lower doses of alcohol, so less than 0.5 grams per kilogram, doesn't seem to meaningfully impair recovery from resistance exercise, but it does suggest that higher doses, greater than one gram per kilogram, will affect this. Um, And the likelihood of impaired recovery seems to be increased if you're a male rather than a female, um, if you're trying to recover from um, strenuous exercise and your alcohol dose is higher than what I had just mentioned. Um, they also say that you know regular ingestion of, al- of high alcohol doses is a bad idea for recovering performance, as alcohol has unfavorable effects on muscle protein synthesis, sleep quality, and hormones. Um, you know, not only that, but it's also going to reduce insulin sensitivity, and we want to be insulin sensitive so that. Our blood sugar is being brought to our muscle cells and then also to our liver rather than producing more fat cells. Um, It'll also raise estrogen, which can cause gynecomastia, which is the increase of breast tissue in males. Um, And also, you know, the phytoestrogens from alcohol will also increase the breast tissue. Um, So overall, you know, you're not going to be recovering as well from your training if you're ingesting the alcohol. Um, you're also not going to be sleeping as well. And that's where I had just mentioned previously, you know, you need to be sleeping well in order to one, lower the cortisol, um, make sure testosterone is high and then to get those Delta waves that are going to release the growth hormone so that you're repairing tissues. Um, so, and another thing is, is, you know, you do alcohol as calories. So, and like I said, they're, they don't have any micronutrients in them. They're not benefiting you in any way. They're doing more harm than good. Um, So, yeah, so right there, definitely want to avoid alcohol unless you're bulking. You know, you can maybe go out with friends like one time a month. That's pretty much something that I do. Um, But if you're dieting, definitely you want to stay away from the alcohol for sure. Um, All right, guys, so that's pretty much everything I have for you for this episode. So the next episode, like I said, we'll go over part two of the myths that you guys have given me. So that'll be um, you need to be sore for a workout to be for it to be effective. Um, The less fat or the less you eat, the faster you'll lose weight. Um, Macros matter more than quality of food. Uh, Carbs are unhealthy. And you can get rid of hip dips. So those will be the topics that I cover in the next episode. I definitely had a lot of fun recording this and doing the research for this. Um, and if you did like this episode, make sure to leave a review. And then also make sure to leave your Instagram handle because I will be picking a winner for a free month of coaching once I reach 50 reviews. So if you want to be added into that raffle, definitely leave a comment Um And yeah, that's, that's it for today. So I will talk to you guys soon. Thank you so much for listening. If you did enjoy this episode, make sure to leave a review and share to social media. And if you are interested in hiring me as your coach, head to www.holdnothingback.net to apply.